This week's podcast has been brought to you by Phil Wheatley. Thank you for the generous donation. Hello folks and welcome to Darker Days Podcast and this week will be number three unlike what I said last week so don't worry about it I've got it right this week. Mark how you doing today? I'm doing good Vince how are you? I'm wonderful. Welcome to the show everybody uh, episode three of uh, our World of Darkness podcast Wadcast Darker Days Radio. Uh, and, uh, not like to be Vince confused said, with Wadline. Like Vince said at the top of the show um, a great thanks to Phil Wheatley uh, for supporting the show. Good stuff man good stuff. Yes, we really appreciate your support. We uh, got a bunch of emails, uh, I believe, Mark, right? We've been having emails and posts coming thick and fast at the forums. They're really starting to come alive. So uh, thanks to everybody who's gotten in touch. Big shouts out, of course, to Pete, uh, to Cam, Ben Barth, uh, Rob Justice, uh, the other Rob, (laughs) and everybody who's been taking the time to post over at the forums. Uh, The forums, yes, have definitely come alive. Uh, if you want to check out our forums, you can go to wildgamesproductions.com slash forums with an S. We'll leave a, a note at the end of the, uh, inside the show notes in case you have an iPod. You can click over to that and you'll see the link and you can punch that in. Okay. And if you want to drop us uh, a line by email, uh, the email address is darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. That's correct. And um, Mark, were you saying something about my avatar on the forums that was hypnotic? Yeah, it's unbelievable, man. It's just like, uh, yeah, the the very height of mesmerism. <laughs> I know. I, I know. I, I won't say who it is, but there is one person that takes a good ten minutes to post every time because he just keeps looking at it. Well, it's Mobius, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, <that's> an- <laughs> Shh! You're not supposed to say that on the air. God, Mark. <laughs> Mobius has been asking. Actually, uh, he's, he's uh, one of our. Uh, more esteemed posters. He's been asking us uh, to hear about uh, the Sabbat from uh, the old Vampire the Masquerade game. Oh, so we're well. going to do a feature on those in, in an upcoming show. Actually, yeah, I think maybe we we could uh, take some time. We'll maybe focus one full. That's that probably take one full show to do that. Yeah, it's definitely a material ripe for a special feature. So uh, your wishes are command, uh, Mobius. We'll we'll get right to that. Definitely. And do we have anything else in our mail bucket, or is that all? Uh, well, there's been some great discussion going on at the uh, the website ab- uh, about uh, non-World of Darkness games. Uh, a whole list of, uh, of so-called indie games have been suggested. Um, some talk about uh, Skype-based games, uh, as I said, suggestions for upcoming shows. In addition to Mobius, uh, Vithofnir and Morton Stromgal have both asked for more house rules. So uh, we're going to get right to that uh, in this show by covering some simple tweaks to Old World of Darkness combat systems. Yeah, as we all know, it's always... Good to have some house rules added in there to quicken up combat. Cause I know me. I know. I mean, I know me. For example, I when you get to ten, fifteen dice, it's kind of like, ugh. Yeah, yeah. I could do with a bit of streamlining, but uh, but as Vince says, if you do post it off forums, beware the hypnotic powers of his avatar. <laughs> you could be trapped there staring at it for hours. They'd be very pleasant hours, but hours nevertheless. Well, from a male perspective, you have to add well, that. Don't know. forget. <laughs> Okay, and uh, I think that wraps up the mail section, unless you have anything else hidden in your pockets, Mark. Uh, No, no, just my refreshing finger. Keep refreshing. We're waiting for those emails. Let's go on to some (laughs) White Wolf news. It looks like uh, at whitewolf.com they do have some ready-made hunter characters for download, so you can quickly pick them out and check them over, maybe adjust them as you need it, and throw it right in your campaign. Yeah, Hunter and Vampire. There's some Vampire ones up there as well now. Oh, is there? I didn't notice that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. They're, they're tucked away in another download, but yeah. Yeah, it's nice. And also I noticed there is another sneak preview for the new Geist uh, system that's coming out. Yeah. We should probably be doing uh, a little waddling, as Mark likes to call it, <laughs> based on the quick start rules that will be coming out for that. Yeah, free RPG day on June 8th. We'll see the release of those. So that'll be good. Yes, and oh, just in case anybody was wondering, you can go to freerpgday.com for more information to find a legal, um, sorry, legal, <laughs> a local retailer near you. 
it has a spot you can scroll, scroll down and check the state and country, whatever, and find your local store. For me, it's two hours away, Mark. Yeah, well, that's what you get for living in such a damn huge country. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> for those of you listening... There's also the other, pre- other previews up at the site on the uh, the Wicked Dead upcoming uh, download that's uh, going to be covering the, the Dampier. Um, so it's kind of cool to see those uh, appearing in the New World of Darkness. They're always fun back in the old days. Mm. And what's this about a Book of Nod? Well, it's um, a little a PDF, uh, like a prop book for Vampire the Requiem, covering the Longinus backstory, the uh, one of the back uh, histories of vampires in the Requiem game, is that they're descended from Longinus, the centurion who stabbed the side on the cross. And so they've got a kind of a campaign prop uh, player handout download for that. It looks very, very cool. Nice. And always, we always know that handouts are always bonuses to gameplay. It always adds a little effect to the game that I like. Mm, very nice. There's also some PDF bundles uh, with big discounts for Mage and uh, World of Darkness Innocence. Uh, they've slashed the prices on those by 50%, and they're going to be available from uh, DriveThruRPG for the next seven days. So uh, stop by and check. Definitely. Just uh, check them out, and uh, it'd be worth it for you. Okay, and uh, do we have any more news from White Wolf, Mark? Um, well, other than the uh, the PDF bundles, uh, that's uh, that's about it for the day. All right, well, I guess we'll go into the segment that everybody seems to love and raving about and storming the doors down for. Spooky news with Mark. Yeah, spooky news. This week we are featuring the Skull Cult of Naples, uh, Naples, Italy. Um, it's a cult that was centered on a, a cemetery in Naples that was known as the Fontanelle. Uh, the cemetery is located in a man-made cave and series of adjoining grottos, and it dates back to the time of the ancient Greeks and was also used by the Romans and the early Christians. Now, not the only town or city to have had a catacomb of this kind, the most famous course is in Paris, uh, where plague dead are buried beneath the city in, uh, in caves and grottos, skulls and bones heaped one on top of the other. Wow. And this was the, this was the case with the, the Fontenelle. Uh, in the 17th century, huge amounts of floods washed the bones out of the caverns and into the town. So there's flood waters, bodies and body parts and skulls and bones washing about the place. And this prompted the city fathers to come up with a more organized uh, ossuary, a more organized cemetery. So they uh, gave the place some structure and had people start to look after it. And shortly thereafter, a cult began to grow up around the cemetery. Now, the cult was comprised almost entirely of women, mostly older women, widows and the bereaved, and they claimed to be receiving messages from the deceased in their dreams. And they would then go into the cemetery and adopt whichever skull they believed had belonged to the spirit that contacted them. Uh, So, in effect, they were becoming caretakers of not just the remains, but also the soul of the dead person. They would clean and care for their skulls, they'd construct engraved marble shrines for them, and they'd put them in little marble boxes. Uh, A box might enclose a single skull, or multiple skulls, if the person had adopted more than them. They'd bring them flowers, they'd bring them gifts, they'd treat them as a revered and honored family member. And in return, they would be allowed to ask the skulls for help by various methods. Uh, they'd ask questions in dreams. They'd just sit down and have conversations with them. They'd use the powers of telepathy, write requests on paper, and stick it in the skull's eye sockets, which uh, always works for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, they jealously protected them. These, they were all prized possessions of these people. Some of them were kept under lock and key by their owners. And over time, the cult grew. It even got its own church in front of the caves. Um, and they became known and popular amongst the people of Naples in the region. Now, as you might expect, this is what I do these days. The principal questions that were asked uh, were lotteries. Even back in those days, they had lotteries. So people would ask the skull, what's the winning number going to be this year or this day or this month? Really? Uh, yeah, really, real highbrow, noble pursuits going on there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Every, everything you can ask, I want to know the tomorrow, tomorrow's lottery number. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, I'm sorry. Meaning of life? Nah, just fill my pockets. 42. Yeah, isn't it? Uh, others asked for help with illnesses. Uh, they uh, asked them to aid infertile women, um, asked them for personal protection. 
Um, the most famous uh, skull was the captain. He was one of the central skulls uh, in the cavern. And uh, one of the most famous stories about him goes on out uh, in the late 19th century. Uh, there was a devout young girl taken into the caves by her boyfriend for kinky sex amongst the bones. Um, she was, you know, she went along with it, uh, but afterwards she was meditating on what she'd done and thought she'd better ask the captain to bless their relationship and uh, turn it from just a one-night stand into a happy marriage. Where her boyfriend, he mocked her. He was laughing. He stuck a little rod into the captain's eye socket. Uh, quite a rod, I'm not sure, but we're not going to go into that. Mark. Uh, he, dared, he dared the captain, if any of the stories are true, to show up at their wedding. Well, sure enough, they did married, and at the banquet, they noticed an unknown man enter, wearing an anachronistic, old-fashioned officer's uniform. And when this stranger got up to leave, the groom followed him out, cornered him, and demanded to know who had invited him. The officer turned and smiled and said, Well, you did. And he opened his coat to reveal a full skeleton. Oof. Yeah. Um, and subsequent years, the Roman Catholic Church decided that this was just far too uh, over the top, far too paganistic, and they shut it down. But it's since been restored in modern times. Of course, the Roman Catholic Church would do that. They shut everything down. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, another cool addition there, I think, for any game, uh, like zombie ants and uh, like the Georgia Guidestones, it's... Uh, uh, its ease of, in of introduction in a game is pretty self-evident. You know, you have these women, they're contacting the skulls uh, for personal reasons. Some of them are really rather mundane. Uh, but in a World of Darkness game, you want them to be sinister. You want them to be spooky. The skulls, they might know secrets that the player characters would have to uncover. Or maybe an enemy has got the skull of a, of a former mage or a former politician that has information he doesn't otherwise know, and he's using it for his own nefarious ends. Uh, somebody may have stolen an important skull, and the player characters are asked to get it back. Um, somebody could have disturbed or mocked a skull like the captain, and now he's out and about wreaking his bony vengeance. And of course, it's up to the player characters to lay him to rest. I can see apart lots from of. All... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I thought you were. Gonna... Go ahead, Mark. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, apart from these obvious plot hooks, uh, it's a cool piece of local flavor and color for your chronicle. You know, it needn't even have any particular occult power. It's just something fun to have going on in the background. I was going to say, I could see a lot of fun happening with this, with the <laughs> having the players trying to search this skull out and then maybe having, like, the thing attack them. Mm-hmm. And because there's another flood that, that sweeps through the caves and mashes all the skulls together, and you no longer know which one is which. Ooh, yeah, even better. Sift them out from a bunch of, yeah. Well, there was another story um, uh, during the renovation period. They were busy cleaning out the caves, and this woman comes up, She's looking for a particular skull by name, uh, and they say, "Well, you know, you can't possibly uh, find him in there." And she runs through the run all the broken skulls, and eventually finds one, which she claims is the guy she's looking for. Sits down, and has a longer conversation with him, and then wanders off. And later, the workmen are clearing that particular area out, and they find a broken uh, marble box, the guy's name written on the front. Uh, presumably, she could go to exactly the skull that she needed amidst all the rubble and pick him out. Hmm. Huh. I wonder how she knew. The ghosts were speaking to her, Vince. The spirits told her. Yes, they were. I see dead people. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's definitely something very interesting we could add to a campaign. I see a lot of potential with this, especially with the women manipulating people to do things with them. To make, even though maybe the skull... You could use the, cope, the, the skull in the campaign so it doesn't even really do anything. Just have mm. them. your players think it does something. Yeah, the power of the cult on its own, even if it has no power, uh, and no supernatural power, could be enough to be the motivating factor behind any stories. The, the the high regard in which these women were held is uh, uh, is quite something. You know, we talked about Inquisitor last week. Mm -hmm. uh, your characters could be Inquisitors sent to shut the cult down. That would be a, a very good example of what Inquisitors would do. And and you add the thing last week we spoke about having zombie ants protect the skulls and what a campaign you got there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Zombie fire ants strike again. Yes. Uh, I think that'll wrap up the uh, the news for this week, Mark. What do you say? Well, um, I think that's uh, more than enough uh, skull culting for the time being. We'll uh, we'll see what spooky news brings our way in two weeks' time. Yes. Yes. 
Okay, we'll move on to our old World of Darkness, or original, like Mark always likes to say. I'm stuck with the old. Yes, I'm stuck with the classic. There you go. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. You call it classic. My mistake. <laughs> and uh, as per request, we had a few people that asked us for a speeding up combat while playing the game. Mark, what do you have? Uh, what is your first suggestion that we can give out to the people for speeding up combat? Cut the number of rolls. Uh, any combat action by the book in Old World of Darkness has four rolls. An attack roll, uh, a dodge roll, uh, a damage roll, and a soak roll. Now, you don't need them. You don't need all four. Uh, and the main reason that you can cut them out is because they're all operating off the same difficulty number. They're all difficulty six, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, at the end of the day, statistically, uh, a number of these roles become redundant. Uh, at, the, at, at its heart, we're taking a leaf out of New World of Darkness's book where uh, roles can cancel each other out. So if you're attacking somebody with six dice and he's dodging with three you just take his three out of your pool and you attack him with the remaining three. And that's, that's the, the modification at its heart. Uh, you lose a certain amount of combat grittiness in, in favor of abstraction. Uh, it makes combat less swingy. Uh, when opponents are evenly matched, combat can take a little bit longer using these house rules with the enemies just kind of scratching away at each other. Uh, and it's not so good for games where gritty and tactical combat is central. Um, yeah, but, but if you'd rather gloss over the details and concentrate on other elements in the story, these house rules are what you need. But I, I would say definitely if a storyteller sees that this is happening and it's you know repeating, that he should award bonus dice where needed to help the situation, I think at least. Sure. Um, cool moves, clever tactics, uh, break deadlocks. Um, and I'll, we'll see exactly what we mean by this when we break the house rules down. Uh, there's three of them. Um, one for attack rolls and dodging one for damage, and uh, one for, uh, for soaking with armor. You use the standard rules from the book as they exist already, rolling attribute plus ability against uh, default difficulty 6, so dex plus melee for melee attacks, dexterity plus brawl for brawling attacks, dexterity plus firearms for firearms attacks, etc. Right. Now, if the target takes a defensive action, a block, a dodge, or a parry, as per the rule book, all you do is you subtract the target's defense pool from the attacker's dice pool. So as I said before, if your attacker has uh, five dice in his pool and the defender has three, then the attacker's going to roll two right. against DC6. And that's it. So straight away, you've removed the dodge roll. Um, now, some players, they, they prefer to roll their dodges, and fair enough. But if you want to speed things up, just subtract the dodge total from the attack total, and away you go. Now, if the... Uh, target's defense pool cancels out the atta- attacker's entire attack pool so uh, if, he, if he strips all the dice out of the attacker's pool then the attacker rolls a single die against difficulty 10 uh, and this is a rule that comes straight from New World of Darkness uh, it's called a chance dice and if this chance dice roll is successful and if you get a 10 then you score a single hit um, so it ensures there's always a chance of hitting it's a marginal, and if you roll a yeah. 1 you get a botch yeah Um, Now, the target can perform other actions as well, like taking a defensive action, splitting the dice pool accordingly, or can perform a desperate defense against multiple attackers, as per the rulebook. So that's basically it um, for attack rolls and dodging. Just uh, subtract the defense pool from the attack pool, and if it cancels it out completely, roll a chance die. Uh, A 10 is a hit, and a 1 is a botch, and anything else is a miss. That should definitely speed things up quite a bit. Yeah, I've been using this for, for a couple of years now, and it makes a huge difference. Um... With damage, uh, you, damage is almost entirely unchanged. Um, you use the damage rating as given in the rule book or uh, your attacker's strength. Um, and you uh, take the, uh, the soak total or the armor total away from damage. So again, instead of rolling a soak total, instead of rolling a soak uh, pool, you're just going to take his soak total away from the damage total. Um, so if, if you're attacking with, I don't know, six dice of damage, and the target has got uh, a soak total of three, again, you're going to take that away and just roll those three dice. Um, And again, if a target soak pool cancels out all the damage from an attack, uh, the attacker rolls a single die again against difficulty 10, Mm -hmm. and if it's successful, the attacker inflicts a single level of damage against their target, which again ensures there's always some chance of inflicting damage. And a one is a botch, of course. And a uh, well, yeah. I mean, um, well, I use I use the rule that damage rolls can't botch. 
um, and wands don't cancel out damage successes. So that just makes damage more threatening. Uh, but that's a purely optional rule, which uh, the house rule doesn't require that for it to work. So it's an additional uh, rule on top of the house rule. Right, right. But it's, it's just a, a, I think it comes from, it's an optional rule in one of the World of Darkness books, actually, that to make damage more threatening, uh, they can't botch. You can, you, know, you can fail to damage somebody, but you can't botch a damage roll. Hmm. And that's the size of it. Um, those are the, uh, the very simple set of house rules for speeding up combat. Um, just take the, uh, the dodge roll and subtract it from the attack pool. Uh, take the soak pool and subtract it from the damage pool. And uh, roll chance dice uh, when one cancels the other out. Uh, a 10 is a, a marginal hit or a marginal point of damage. And a 1 is a botch. And that's it. And you'll find that if you put those into play, uh, it will speed up combat no end. Combat now drops from being four rolls down to two. Um, and uh, you'll find that the, the rounds whip by at a much greater pace. Um, as I said before at the, the beginning of the section, you will find that it makes combats less abstract, uh, as opposed to damage uh, and attacks occurring at the extremes of any range. Uh, they'll tend to gravitate toward the middle uh, and become a bit more predictable, in fact. Um, so like Vince said, uh, you sh the storyteller should award bonus dice for cool moves for clever tactics in order to break deadlocks and spice it up a little bit. One or two dice for a, a cool move uh, should, uh, should be enough to, uh, to mix things up a little bit there. Uh, yeah, definitely. That would, this would speed up everything, make your games a little more enjoyable. Because anybody who plays this game obviously is in it for more role-playing than role-playing. Yeah, well, uh, let's be honest about it. The World of Darkness system is not the most elegant of beasts. Um, under close scrutiny, uh, it falls apart. You know, there's no two ways about it. Yeah. Um, but an advantage to that is it's not as closely interlinked as, uh, say, the D20 system. So you can pull bits out and fiddle with them and stick them back under the hood, and the whole system won't fall apart around your ears. Uh, so uh, its flaws also play back to its advantages in a certain way. Now, as before, as we did last week with the Mage House rules, um, we're going to summarize these for you, put them in a post up on our forums, and throw a link up to, uh, uh, to that in the show notes um, so you can uh, sit back and peruse them at your leisure. Sorry, leisure. <laughs> <laughs> the way you guys say things. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> anyway, do you have any more house rules? Or I think that's about it. Right? We'll leave it with those um, for later on. Uh, we'll, if anybody wants to see anything more specific, uh, post it up at the forums. And there's a, a few more we have in our bag of tricks. And uh, if there's no specific requests, we'll uh, trot those out uh, in the following show. There's an interesting thing you can do with nature and demeanor uh, adding a house rule to nature and demeanor that allows those to be, those to be a little bit more effective and uh, uh, give them mechanical representation and play, but we'll uh, save that for another show. Yes, we'll, we'll schedule another show for that. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, let's move on to... Uh, we have a preview, uh, actually a little review of Destiny's Price for you. Yes, the famous Destiny's Price rulebook. Um, this is a rulebook that comes with a, a, a bit of a, a checkered reputation. Uh, it's no Dirty Secrets of the Black Hand, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, but it was met with a, a mixed reviews when it came out, and, um, and with good reason. Uh, it's, it's touted as a source book for the streets. It's primarily for Mage the Ascension, uh, although it's actually easy to use with any World of Darkness game, old or, old or new. Uh, and it was made by uh, Black Dog, who was a, a, a sub kind of a, a sub-studio uh, in White Wolf whose books were supposed to have a gritty, mature, adult theme, mm -hmm. which for the most part meant that they could have nudie pictures and lots of swearing in them. Uh, and Destiny's Price doesn't disappoint on that count. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Now, from time to time, it takes itself too seriously. You know, it's supposed to be a source book for, for living and, uh, and running games on the streets. Uh, and in order to do so, it... it takes a certain amount of streetwise commentary and attitude from the hood uh, and spends a lot of time telling you uh, how uh, you're just a kid from the suburbs and you couldn't ever possibly know what the streets are like, so put away your ideas and here in this book we're going to show you what it's really like. Um, now if you can get past that nonsense, there's actually plenty there to use, uh, but you do have to wade through a fair amount of this overindulgent um, uh, kind of prose before you can actually get to the meat. Uh, yeah, and actually, it does have some pretty good sections and uh, actually an overview of pretty much all the sections in the book, which is very helpful so you can flip around easily, uh, mm. like for the Mafia, the Triads, the Russian Mafia, things like that. And also, it does does go into some little, you know, silly areas, like with gang types, like, remember the movie Escape from New York? 
Yeah, yeah, right. The section on gangs is particularly silly. Um, <laughs> the game Mad types, um, there would be more at home in Escape from New York or Mad Max or uh, even Streets of Fire, to be honest. <laughs> you, know? hey, you never know. Um, Maybe you want that in your campaign. Yeah. Uh, the section on organized crime, though, like you say, is extremely good. Um, the Mafia, the Triads, the, the Russian Mafia, the Organizatia, uh, the West Indian, uh, the Yardies. Some good overviews there. Lots of hooks to hang your adventures on. Um, there's also a section on the sex industry, which I expected to be just cringeworthily bad, but it's surprisingly, <laughs> surprisingly sensible. Now, I'm not sure how much use you'd actually see in a, in a game. You know, I, I don't recall in any of my mage games the characters spending much of their time uh, in strip clubs. Uh, but if you want to have that in a game, it's, it's well handled. Well, uh, let me ask you this, Mark. How many women do you have in your group? Right now? Yeah. Uh, nearly one. N- nearly one? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think she wants to spend most of her time watching guys get it on in a game. I mean, come on. Exactly. Uh, the next section covers uh, Mage Street Culture. Now, this works as a good companion to the Mage book Initiates of the Art, which was about bottom-level, apprentice-level mages. And it, appro- it provides an alternate look at the gutter-level mage. Now, a lot of this stuff has since been reworked and put in later mage books, so uh, it's kind of redundant. Uh, now, Destiny's Price came out at the tail end of first edition, and mage went through, you know, three editions or two and a half or whatever you want to number it as. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is one of the book's chief weaknesses, but the material in it is decent. Um, the best part of the book for me is the chapter which has uh, little settings and locations uh, like a haunted basketball court or uh, uh, an old chapel. How about that or, club? Uh, a youth center, a nightclub, yeah. I'm not sure the club needs a cyborg DJ, um, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, so again, it strays into the, into the kind of silly territory there. You know, you might want to tone down the level of supernatural involvement and everything. But the locations are all memorable, they're all iconic, and uh, very easy to slot into a mage chronicle or any urban supernatural chronicle, really. It's very good. I don't think I'd forget a club named Club Eat Me. I mean, come on. No, well, it has the, uh, the, uh, the priceless line where you can actually turn to a player character and say, are you going to eat me tonight? And I've never seen a, a player that is able to look you straight in the eye and give you a straight answer out of that. Yeah, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, as I said earlier, much of the rest of the material has appeared elsewhere. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stat blocks at the end for um, beat cops, detectives, uh, strippers as well. Uh, and they were included in a book called Tales of Magic, Dark Adventure, a kind of high action adventure source book for Mage that came out later. Um, so they've all been repeated somewhere. There's even a stat block for the ninja, because as we all know, ninjas are from the streets. Um, Kagabushi from the hood uh, so yeah um, why on earth they have ninjas in there very dumb uh, they renamed it Assassin later in Tales of Magic yeah. it also has weapon stats um, NPC sketches uh, creature stats like sewer alligators and crazy homeless types and some general black market gear uh, drugs uh, chainsaws uh, baseball bats with uh, nails rammed through them that kind of thing um, so yeah we use these all the time in our games um, overall, the book has a lot of strengths, and I've used it in pretty much every urban mage game that I run. Now, you've got to gloss over the strangeness and, the, in some cases, the outright silliness, but there is nevertheless plenty of useful material here. Uh, it is long out of print. This is the Old World of Darkness section, actually, so uh, that's what you'd expect. But you can still pick up the PDF um, from uh, DriveThruRPG uh, if you are interested. It's definitely a good supplement to pick up if you do see it in somewhere, because I know I've seen some Old World Darkness books for like five bucks in a bin at some comic book stores and things like that. Yeah. Pick this up. Something you can easily use to drop into your campaign. Like Mark always says, anything to your fingertips to drop into a campaign is always useful. Yeah, and because it because it focuses on the urban level environment and the kind of down and, and dirty, gritty streets, uh, there's a lot to recommend it there for a New World of Darkness game. Uh, most of the New World of Darkness games focus on that local, personal level of territory more than the uh, immense cosmic sweep of uh, some of the Old World of Darkness material. So uh, it's worth a look, whichever version of the game you play. Definitely. I do like the fact that it focuses more on a local area in the New World of Darkness, though. Mm, yeah, sense. it makes it very, very accessible, and you know, you you're, you pick it up on you, and you you go right away. It's good. Okay, now for the new world of darkness, or the current world of darkness, we do have a feature for this show called Jail of Night. Yeah, now the Jail of Night, as uh, long-term fans of White Wolf will know, was a series of articles by Paul Beakley, 
that appeared in White Wolf's magazine in Phobia right toward the end of its run. And essentially, they took the cult setting, uh, for the, the standout premier horror game cult, and adapted it to the world of darkness. And they ran a series of uh, four articles, one for Vampire, one for Mage, one for Wheel, one for Wraith, uh, adapting each one of these settings to the cult universe. Changeling. Well, there was going to be one for Changeling, but the magazine got cancelled. Oh, that's right. The articles have since been uh, released for free online over at the cult website, and we'll put a link to that uh, up on our uh, uh, show notes. We had one for last week, and if you haven't picked it up yet, we'll put another link there this week. Excellent. Um, and in the compiled set of articles, the Lost Changeling article is there as well. Now, the, the idea behind the Jail of Night, the idea behind the cult setting, is very similar to actually the Mage the Awakening setting. Uh, the idea is uh, it's based on an old philosophy, an old heresy actually, from the uh, uh, early Christian era called Gnosticism. And the idea behind Gnosticism, the Gnostics were these the devout religious people who looked at the world and asked themselves the question, if God is perfect and all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving, uh, how come life sucks? And <laughs> I think everybody asked that every single day more. <laughs> exactly. Well, they came up with the ingenious answer that uh, God isn't actually any of these things. And in fact, the God that created the world is a really kind of vengeful, unpleasant individual who made the world to trap men's spirits. Uh, to trap the uh, pure essence of spirit inside matter and feed on it. Uh, and so th their idea was that the creator god of the Bible was this terrifying, malevolent figure, and they had to reject his material creation in order to free their spirits and uh, ascend to the true hidden god who dwelt outside understandable reality. Are you reading from the Scientology book? Oh, never mind. Sorry, go ahead. Well, mo most, more, most famously recently, this has been used as the, uh, as the background to the Matrix movies. Yes. Uh, but they, they gave it a strong technological bend there. You know, it's, it's computer programs and virus and, uh, and agents, uh, uh, machines feeding off people. But the idea in the old Gnostic uh, philosophy was that it was uh, the Demiurge and his, agent, his uh, angels, which he called Archons. Um, and this is the setting that Cult uses, and it players of uh, Mage the Awakening will recognize it as very similar to the setting from that game. So you have, uh, in, in Cult, you have the Demiurge, and that's the name that is given to this false creator god. Um, except in Cult, he's gone. He's vanished. Uh, there is no god uh, lording himself over creation, and instead his archons, his most powerful angels, are fighting amongst themselves. And they have uh, personal servants inside reality, which is referred to as the lie, because it's not the true world. Uh, and these servants are called lictors, and they're kind of like prison wardens. And everyone else, all of us, all of humanity, are the prisoners. Um, in the cult setting, the, the, the real world, the world that we can't see, is called Metropolis. It's this enormous city that exists in all places, in all times. And all of our cities are a kind of faded reflection of it. Uh, and way, way back at the beginning of time, humanity were exiled from Metropolis, uh, kind of kicked out of Eden. Uh, but in this case, Eden is, a, is this super city beyond space and time. And they were kicked out of Metropolis and imprisoned in the lie uh, in our world. Uh, and that's, that's basically the, uh, the backstory of, of Cult, and that's the setting for the Jail of Night. And what the articles do, when you download them, you'll see this, um, is it takes Vampire the Masquerade, Werewolf the Apocalypse, etc., etc., and says, well, how would you change this to uh, make it work with the Metropolis setting, with the Jail of Night setting? So what we're going to do here in this feature is we're going to just talk you through the modern World of Darkness games, uh, Vampire the Requiem, Werewolf the Forsaken, Mage the Awakening, uh, Changing the Lost, and we'll talk a little bit about Geist, although we don't really know much about Geist yet, and show you how these can be used uh, very easily with the material that's presented in the article. Hmm. Now, Vampire the Requiem. The, uh, the backstory that's given in the article simply says that vampires are the exiled aristocracy of Metropolis. They were the rulers of this primordial Eden city, uh, and when humanity was kicked out, their aristocracy were kicked out with them. So vampires, in a certain sense, are, are hidden rulers. They're the, the hidden lords of our species. Now, Vampire the Requiem uh, does not have a single origin myth for vampires like the Masquerade used to do. In Masquerade, they said, oh, well, it's Cain or it's Lilith. 
Right. And I didn't really talk about too much beyond that. Uh, with Requiem, you've got a whole number of origin myths. And the best way to use the Jail of Night with Requiem is to introduce this as just another origin story. So, um, this is know, a, whether that... Go ahead, I'm sorry. sorry. I was going to say this is a good possibility that you can create a lot of new stuff for your camp, your story by just using this alone. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, you know, the easiest way to do that would be to create some new covenants and bloodlines based around the idea of an, of an aristocracy exiled from a city outside space and time. Um, and if you go ahead and use the idea of the lictors, the, uh, the, the keepers, the, the prison wardens, um, you can have the vampire covenants secretly ruled over by them. And this allows you to have some really unpleasant villains pulling the strings. Uh, a feature that that uh, makes Requiem different from Masquerade is the powers of ancient vampires like Methuselahs uh, is, are watered down by the fact they slip into torpor and they lose their memories. Now, the Lictors are not affected by this memory loss, the so-called fog of ages. This makes them even more sinister. Uh, they know truths that vampires have forgotten. Uh, you can also have covenants founded by rebellious Lictors, those who don't want to do the biddings of the Archons. Um, so straight away you have an alternate origin myth there that you can plug directly into uh, the Requiem game. And you wouldn't need to make too many other changes to Requiem uh, because Requiem is a game that uh, doesn't base itself so heavily in, uh, in ancient backstories. But it gives you another new backstory to use, a new one to throw in there. I can see a lot of possibilities with this with your character running around, sort of like the whole Matrix thing of being awakened, mm. trying to figure out the, uh, this, the forgotten truth that the electors know and I could see so much. Wow, I'm just thinking of stuff as you were talking about this. What I could do in my campaign with this, wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, just this is a real-world philosophy. Gnosticism is fascinating. As soon as you put it into a game with where supernatural elements are, are real and part of daily life, yeah, it takes on a life of its own. Um, they did a similar treatment, of course, for uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse. Now, using that with Werewolf the Forsaken, uh, the article talks about uh, the death of Gaia, the, the world spirit. Now, Gaia is not central to Werewolf the Forsaken, but you can easily replace those legends about the death of Gaia with legends relating to the death of Father Wolf. Um, now, players of uh, Werewolf the Forsaken will know that the Uratha, the werewolves, um, hail from tribes of werewolves that are supposedly responsible for the, for the, for the death of their forefather, Father Wolf. Um, in the Jail of Night, uh, Metropolis is the real world, and the, the lie that we inhabit was created from the corpse of Gaia. Now, just simply flip that and say the lie was created from the corpse of Father Wolf. Mm. Yeah, uh, and now all of a sudden the Uratha have become, um, they've suddenly got a new darker aspect. Uh, they're, they're very much these anti-heroes. They were involved, possibly, in the creation of the lie itself. And they're now patrolling the border between the material world and Metropolis. Uh, in a sense, they're preserving the lie. Uh, if Metropolis is the true reality, then the Oratha are keeping the truth out of our world. But they're also keeping people from the lie from entering Metropolis, from finding freedom. And it gives them a much darker aspect if you make them followers of the Archons instead of being just followers of Luna. Um, you know, maybe the Oratha were party to the invasion by Metropolis into the material world, which led to the death of Father Wolf, and they now police its borders. Makes them much more villainous, makes them much more conflicted. And it also casts uh, the standard uh, antagonists of Werewolf the Forsaken, uh, the pure, it casts the pure in a new light, because they're now the last defenders of the world from these invaders from Metropolis. Um, now, I, I, I've not played an awful lot of Werewolf the Forsaken, but uh, taking this approach, to me, spins the whole game on its head. Uh, I found that particularly uh, particularly interesting angle to use. I, I like this because I was just thinking about, um, think of all the can all the stories you can do with just having your characters patrolling the borders. Mm. Well, it's a strong part of Will yeah. Forsaken, um, but when you turn it from a, a sacred duty uh, into something that's a lot more sinister, uh, that you're, uh, you're, you're keeping regular people from learning the truth, uh, that gives werewolves... Uh, uh, a real monstrous element. And even if you're not playing them, uh, it puts them in a prime position to be used as antagonists, which I quite like. That definitely, yeah, now, as, yeah, for Mage, yeah. as for Mage the Awakening, um, there's little change needed. Uh, players of Mage the Awakening will know these settings are almost identical. They draw their inspiration from the same Gnostic sources. Um, Metropolis is an easy analogue for Atlantis and makes for a much darker version of the same. 
Now, you know, I don't want to jump on the bandwagon. Atlantis got a lot of uh, flack for its inclusion in the Mage of the Awakening game. But if you're one of those people who, who just can't stand Atlantis, uh, replace it with Metropolis. Um, Superman song. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> no, wrong game. Now you've ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, yeah, the Archons, uh, the Demiurge's Archons, they map very well to the Exarchs and to the Oracles to a certain degree. Um, these unknowable forces that rule over reality from an unreachable heaven. Uh, and the Lictors, they're uh, jail wardens, they map almost perfectly to the Seers of the Throne, uh, the Keepers of the Lie, the Prison Wardens of Reality. There are even good analogues for the Watchtowers. Uh, they're the Citadels of the Archons in Metropolis. They surround the breach left behind in Metropolis when the Demiurge left. Uh, the article describes the Archons in good detail. Uh, these details can be used to supplement or replace information on the Exarchs in case pesky players start reading stuff they shouldn't. Keeps them on their toes. <laughs> we always hate it when players do that. I know. Um, now, the, the drawback of, uh, of using Metropolis in this way <laughs> means that it's much closer at hand than the Supernal Realms. Uh, in Mage of the Awakening, the Supernal Realms are nice and distant, they're uh, a reality that you can aspire to, but in play, you're pretty much never going to get there. So a mage storyteller might wish to make Metropolis much harder to reach than is suggested in the articles, uh, or instead use it as something more like awakening spirit worlds like Twilight. Or it could even be a manifestation of the abyss that is coalescing around the world. Now, it also gives a good treatment to, uh, uh, to Wraith, uh, at present, um, the Wraith game has no hard and fast correspondence in the New World of Darkness. New World of Darkness has ghosts, and there is the upcoming game Geist, but details about that are still pretty sketchy. However, you can still use the material from the articles as an alternate take on the afterlife. Um, the Jail of Night afterlife is ruled over by death angels, which are twisted reflections of the Archons, and the article covers these in excellent detail. Um, you can use Twilight in the same way as in New World of Darkness. Um, and the idea in the Jail of Night is that when a spirit dies, it goes through something called Inferno, uh, which is kind of like the labyrinth from the Hellraiser films, really. Um, so you could use it as Hell itself. You could use it as part of the astral realms. You could use it as some other element of the afterlife uh, as whatever your storyteller decides. And the article also goes on to suggest using Stygia from the old Wraith game as, an in, as a reflected inversion of Metropolis. Uh, now, although Stygia, as far as I'm aware so far, doesn't exist in the same way in the New World of Darkness as it did in the old, uh, you, can still, uh, you can still use it to one way or the other. Um, you could have Stygia being a location somewhere in Twilight. It could even be a city of the Abyss, which uh, is invading... Uh, our world, uh, an invasion of unreality that's trying to insinuate itself into the spirit world. Uh, maybe it's interfered with the natural processes of the afterlife, uh, cutting off the passage of ghosts to their final rest, which could give you a reason as to why ghosts wander around the world of the living. Uh, so that's something that a storyteller would very much need to have a look through and see what they want to use and what they don't want to use, because as I say, Wraith doesn't yet have any strong uh, correspondence in uh, in the new world of darkness. I have seen some rumors about, speaking of which, just to interrupt you, from, I have seen some rumors of Wraith having some type of support upcoming. That's all I've seen. That would be fantastic. Um, Wraith, apart from Mage, is my favorite old World of Darkness game. Um, I'd love to see uh, what take they, they give that in the new. Now, the last section uh, of the Jail of Night download is on Changeling. And as I said before, it never actually saw print. Um, so if you only knew Jail of Night from the articles in Infobia, you want to check out the download because the lost Changeling article is stuck there at the back. Um, and out of all the articles, it actually maps almost the best over to, uh, apart from Mage, maps the best over to the New World of Darkness uh, game Changeling the Lost. Yes. Um, now, in, in Changeling the Lost, uh, Changelings are people who've been taken off to Fairy uh, and then kicked back into the real world, all changed and messed up. Um, and in Jail of Night, they're people who've been abducted and taken to Metropolis and then returned to the lie. So they've seen what reality really is. They've seen that uh, the lie is just something on the surface and underneath is something even worse. They've been exposed to that and now returned to this fake world that we inhabit. Uh, and not surprisingly, this drives them mad. Um, 
So uh, that's what the, uh, the changeling elements in Jail of Night are strongly based on. They're based on insanity, on people who have seen past the veil uh, and have come back horrifically changed as a result. Um, and it lists a number of disorders that you can give your character, who, uh, your changeling character, who's experienced this horrific true face of reality. And a good way to, to use that in Changeling the Lost is to replace changeling seemings with these, with these disorder types. And it makes changeling very strongly about madness, those who have seen the truth, lived in it, and now inhabit the lie and are insane as a result. Um, changeling's courts and entitlements can be used as they stand. They might have some different political motivations, but their general structure remains unchanged. So essentially there you're replacing fairy with metropolis. Now, this does take away some of the mythic resonance of changelings. Uh, it doesn't tie them in so closely to our histories of the fae and the she and that kind of thing, but it replaces it with something far darker, uh, far more modern. Uh, it has the flavor of uh, Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere, for example, or the Millennium TV show, uh, Grim, Great Mad, show. and Unpleasant. I definitely like Millennium uh, TV show to interrupt you. That was one of my favorite shows when that was on the air. Oh, I just watched the whole three series of that back-to-back -back a couple of months ago. Excellent. Fantastic. Yeah, really good. So there you have it, Jail of Night. Um, like I said, it's available for free download from the Cult website. Um, there'll be a link on uh, wildgamesproductions.com uh, in the show notes for Episode 3. So just click on that, and you'll be taken straight to the download page over at the Cult site. Uh, download it and check it out. I think the Jail of Night, this whole... These articles will be perfect to drop into any game. They even take little pieces from for any game. I mean, these are perfect. Mm -hmm. Very impressed by them. I'd like to see maybe... Is there any news of maybe them doing some more support for it, or are they pretty much as is? No, I mean, the, the best support that you can get is, is for the cult game itself, because it ties so strongly into the, into the, cult, uh, into the cult setting. And uh, there's a thriving cult fan base out there and if you if you nose around the cult rpg site you see there's plenty of material there that can be picked up and stolen and are used in a world of darkness game i've always thought that the two games uh, are very close cousins of one another and especially the new world of darkness uh with the 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 gnostic background that's been given to mage the awakening they're easier than ever to uh, to use uh, in conjunction with one another Excellent. Anyone who's interested, we'll put a uh, link up in our forums, and Mark will post that up straight away after he's done refreshing every five seconds. I will indeed. And our email address, uh, Mark, want to get that out one more time? Darkadaysradio at gmail.com. And if you want to go to the website, that's wildgamesproductions.com. That is our host site, uh, and you do slash forums with an S. And you can see all the different shows that are listed there, as well as our show has our own little home there. And you can just post up notes. I was also told if anyone is looking to join the network, there are some notes there as well if you're interested. Yeah, we've had a couple of people uh, talk to us about podcasts, about how they're interested in doing, doing one or how they've long thought about doing one. Um, the best way to do that, guys, is to just jump on in. Um, if you post up at the website, we'll be more than happy to uh, give you our thoughts and opinions and advice and uh, invite you to be part of the uh, Wild Games Production Radio Network. It's an up-and-coming network. And now for our last segment on the show, let's uh, talk a little bit about our campaigns, which everybody was eager to hear a little bit about. Mark, what's going on in your campaign right now? Our campaign is currently on hiatus due to horrendous scheduling problems, I'm afraid. <laughs> so uh. I have little more to report than that last week. Uh, last episode, I had left the characters on a cliffhanger with uh, a, uh, a botch of a spirit effect, having one character's familiar taken off into the umbra um, and since then we have not actually been able to get a game together uh, this happens to our chronicle every summer um, when the summer months roll around it just kind of goes on hiatus so instead we're going to go out for a curry next week and drink a few beers and talk about the games we're not playing right now <laughs> <laughs> well everyone's some people want to hear about my dark ages inquisitor game which uh, we only played it briefly because I was introducing my players into the uh, whole system mostly. So you we got wrote it off the ground, though, eh? Yeah, we did get it off the ground. We did write up Excellent. the characters. Uh, they're all written up and set to go, with little shiny buttons on them. Nice. And uh, we did some. Uh, two players did have to leave after I did write up all the characters, which I was kind of annoyed about, but I understand their reasons. Uh, there was two players left, so we just decided to do a little backstory stuff: how they became inquisitors. One player. 
He was. I had him like his first encounters were with some like flesh eating zombies. He was sleeping in the middle of the night, and uh, I had the zombies attack his house. And then he did such a you know wonderful job that you know the, the church had secretly contacted him, and then he had to figure out piece by piece where the church exactly was located because you know. What? The Inquisitors? It doesn't exist. What are you talking about? Oh, it's so totally hidden. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, cool. And the other player... Well, what, what, the other, what, I'm sorry, guys. Sorry, what, what year is this set in at the moment? Uh, around 12... Uh, I think I, I put it... Uh, look at my notes. 1231. Okay, right. So the, the standard Inquisitor period. Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, good stuff. And the other player, actually, his... He has been hunting ghosts since he was a young child with his father, so... His character, he wanted to start with a little more background, and he uh, I gave him the option to do that as long as he was able to explain to me how his character did that. So I really didn't do much of a backstory with him. He just kind of ran into the other player and helped him out where need be. But that yeah. was his decision. So, Well, if the players are happy with it, you know, they roll with it, and that's good. Well, it makes your life a lot easier. Then, no yeah. one, <laughs> Doesn't it? then next week we'll get the other two players. In. Actually, we're not playing this weekend, so I have things to do. Yeah. Well, I like the I like the idea of having the Inquisitors as a, a secret cult that you have to track down. Uh, I think that's fantastic. That makes it uh, makes it something that the players are hungry for from the word go. Oh yeah, you can't just be like, oh, here we are. Here you go. Here's the key to the uh, executive bathroom. Have a nice day. Yeah. Okay, I think that pretty much wraps things up for this week, Mark. Yes, indeed. Um, we'll be uh, as I said, we're going to be focusing on uh, the uh, the Sabbat in the near future. Um, and if there's any other particular requests that uh, people have for uh, for upcoming shows, you just jump on the forum or uh, leave a comment on the wildgamesproductions.com uh, or shoot us an email at uh, darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. Yes, just drop us a line. We'll, and don't forget this weekend, free RPG day, freerpgday.com. Yes. Check out your uh, supplement that's coming out. And uh, we possibly will be coming back this weekend with a waddling, as Mark likes to call yes, it. Yes, keep an eye on the website, and uh, we'll have something there for you on Geist. You folks have a great weekend and a great night. Take care, folks. <laughs> <laughs>